We are talking once again with Jav Parrish, local writer and activist, here to give us a wrap-up of this past week's news. Good morning. Good afternoon. Diving into this week's news, starting with local and an update coming out about the Tacoma Police Department internal investigation of Manuel Ellis. Yeah, Manuel Ellis, people may remember, was killed, shot and killed by Tacoma police in March of 2020, which is over three years ago now. And um, the Tacoma police chief confirmed this week that their internal investigation of that shooting has been on pause all this time. Uh, the reason is, uh, ostensibly, that uh, uh, Attorney General Bob Ferguson is also investigating the shooting, and they don't want to do anything until he finishes investigating. Um, of course, Tacoma activists have been highly skeptical all along that the police department has any intention or interest in investigating itself. Um, and, you know, Alice's death got national attention in 2020 when the number of similar deaths, uh, starting with George Floyd, uh, triggered, no pun intended, uh, huge protests across the country. And we saw those here as well, of course. But, um, yeah, so that is, that is stalled out at this point. And, uh, there was no timeline given as to when uh, the eternal investigation, or for that matter, the criminal investigation from the attorney general's office might be resolved. But it's, you know, I, I mean, it's the kind of timeline that, uh, that Donald Trump will be proud of. Yeah, I thought I read that the uh, the criminal investigation was expected to begin in September of this year. But it's still, that's just an insanely long amount of time to pass without real feedback. Yeah, and, you know, with the problem with delaying in investigations like that is that, you know, witnesses disappear and uh, it becomes much more difficult to, to, to prove anything. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's very unfortunate. In fact, I believe the, uh, the current chief of police there is uh, a different chief of police than had been in charge back when that occurred in 2020. That is correct. So... And just to remind people, Manuel Ellis uh, died after being tased, choked, masked with a nylon hood, and hogtied while repeatedly saying he couldn't breathe. So yeah, it was it was really egregious. I mean, I'm, I was surprised it didn't get more national attention than it did. Unfortunately, um, nobody caught it on videotape, though, in in the kind of graphic way that George Floyd's murder was caught. And that seems to be the prerequisite for public outrage these days. Okay, moving on. Uh, Olympia still in session. Yes, for two more weeks. The final date for the session is April 23rd, which is two weeks from tomorrow, Sunday. Um, and uh, both the House and the Senate now have passed budget bills uh, totaling some $70 billion for the biennium of 2023 to 25. Um, so they are working behind the scenes now to try and reconcile those bills. Um, of course, there's a lot of line items that are, that are in one but not the other, and so they've got to hash out, um, you know, what will um, uh, what will survive the process, and then um, you know how to fund it. 
and then they will uh, go back to their respective chambers and with identical bills, hopefully, and then they will pass those uh, hopefully before the April 23rd deadline. Uh, if they don't reach agreement by April 23rd, then we have to go to a special session. But that has not happened in a few years now, and hopefully it won't happen this year either. Um, meanwhile, um, the House and Senate floor debates uh, are including a you know literally hundreds of bills over the next two weeks. It's an insanely busy time. Um, all of the bills that we've talked about over the past month or so are are still in play. You know the major ones on things like uh, gun safety legislation, uh, environmental issues, all that you know education, all that stuff. They, none of those have been passed yet. There have been some uh, some interesting bills passed. There was one that allows uh, 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 gender change uh, uh, court records to be sealed, which I thought was interesting. Um, and that ha- that was signed this week by Governor Inslee. But most of the bills have not been passed or made their way to his desk yet. Uh, once the... Uh, uh, once the legislature passes the bills, uh, Inslee has five days to act on them. They automatically become law. So that's how that is handled. And, um, yeah, he's going to he's gonna be cramping his writing hand over the next couple of weeks. Uh, a lot of stuff is going to be moving through. You can check to see um, when which bills are on the docket because, of course, bills can be amended and uh, the, the, the floor debate is often lively, sometimes incredibly dull. Um, uh, uh, leg.wa.gov is where you can find the floor calendars for both the House and the Senate. All right. So we were waiting for a ruling to come out of Texas the last couple of weeks regarding Mifepristone. And uh, not only did a ruling come out from Texas like yesterday, but also one came out from uh, Washington State, which I wasn't expecting. Yes, the uh, the Washington State lawsuit was actually um, <clears throat> uh, filed by Attorney General Ferguson and 11 other state attorneys general um, uh, while we were waiting for the ruling from Texas. So that has moved through very quickly over the last month. Um, meanwhile, um, Judge Matthew uh, Kaxmark, I believe is how it's pronounced, from the U.S. District Court for Northern District of Texas, He's a Trump appointee. He's a well-known Republican ideologue, and he uh, granted a motion that effectively revoked, <coughs> excuse me, the FDA's uh, year 2000 approval of the drug uh, mifepristone. Uh, uh, meanwhile, Judge Thomas Rice from the U.S. District Court for Eastern Washington uh, uh, granted a similar and opposing motion for the. Um, uh, for the uh, Ferguson lawsuit. So what happens now, because these two lawsuits are diametrically opposed to each other, uh, one revokes the FDA's approval of Mifepristone for no apparent medical reason. Um, it's, it's strictly ideological. But, uh, you know, this is an article of faith on the far right, is that it's a dangerous drug, blah, 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 and it's not. It has been on the market and numerous studies over the past two decades have affirmed its safety. Um, but, uh, and it's a dangerous precedent of having a, a court and a lot of no political process overrule the, the, the medical expertise of the FDA. 
Uh, the FDA itself can be flawed. It can be influenced by Big Pharma, for example. But uh, generally, there is at least some grounding in, in you know, medical studies uh behind its uh behind its decisions and this is this is not that um meanwhile the uh, uh the ferguson lawsuit uh basically affirms the fda's uh approval of mifepristone and um so what happens now is uh we will probably skip the uh the district court stage since the uh, the district court for Eastern Washington is the Ninth Circuit, you know, which is uh, very liberal, and the uh, the one for Northern Texas is uh, the Fifth Circuit in New Orleans, which is the, by far the most conservative uh, district court. They will probably go directly to the Supreme Court since they're opposing uh, rule, federal court rulings, um, and we'll see what the Supreme Court does with it. Of course, the Supreme Court uh, thus far has been uh, extremely anti-abortion with the Hobbes ruling last summer and so forth. And uh, it will be interesting to see uh, to what degree that uh, that plays a part versus, uh, you know, the FDA having being able to have regulatory authority over or putting drugs on the market and keeping drugs on the market. Um, uh, so, yeah, in the meantime, um, uh, Governor Inslee announced that the state of Washington was purchasing a three-year supply of mifepristone, um, and uh, there are uh, bills in both the House and the Senate that would fund statewide distribution of the drug. Uh, mifepristone, uh, for people not familiar with it yet, is uh, uh, is the drug that is used for uh, the vast majority of medical abortions in the United States. Uh, that's the term for ones that you take a pill for as opposed to surgical ones. And uh, those in turn are about 60% of all abortions performed in the United States. So this is a really big deal, um, yeah, particularly because Republicans have been pushing to get a federal ban on, on the abortion procedure, and this would accomplish about 60% of that. Uh, without any legislative action and without any accountability whatsoever. It's just one Trump-appointed judge in Texas uh, wreaking havoc on this. Um, and we've already seen uh, uh, major retailers, particularly Walmart, uh, pull Mifepristone from their shelves in anticipation of, of uh, these kind of problematic rulings. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens over the next uh, over the next months. Um, yeah, the Supreme Court will have to act on this pretty quickly, I think, since, you know, there, there are dollars at stake. I saw that uh, shortly after the news came out about the Texas ruling that Senator Ron Wyden spoke out urging the Biden administration to just ignore it. He said, quote, there is no way this decision has a basis in law. It is instead rooted in conservatives, dangerous and undemocratic takeover of our country's institutions. No matter what happens in seven days, I believe the Food and Drug Administration has the authority to ignore this ruling, which is why I'm again calling on President Biden and the FDA to do just that. It sounds like n- numerous people had some <laughs> serious, serious critiques of the Texas ruling. Yeah, it's it's not based in law at all, and that's the problem. 
it was one of several items that we have this week that um, uh, are and we're, we're pivoting to national news now, so we'll get to this. Okay. Um, that are, um, you know, uh, a reminder that we are steadily sliding into fascism and that that is the goal of one of the two major political parties in our country. Like, it's a uh, it's a bug. It's a feature, not a bug. Exactly. So yeah, that brings up uh, both the um, what happened in Tennessee this week, as well as the January six uh, investigations. Yes. So, so let's let's start with uh, Tennessee. Okay. Um, uh, two lawmakers in Tennessee were uh, expelled from the Tennessee House of Representatives, which is a a remarkable action and one with no real modern precedent. And the reason they were goes back to the mass shooting that happened in Nashville at a Christian school uh, a week ago Monday. Um, that prompted uh, protests at the Tennessee legislature for gun safety legislation, which, of course, the Republican supermajority in the legislature um, has zero interest in doing. Uh, in fact, um, they have steadily been passing legislation over the over recent years that expands uh, gun owners' rights and access and ability to buy new weapons and ever more deadly weapons. So um, at one point, uh, students from around Nashville uh, converged on the legislature last week. They were not allowed inside the building, but they were very loudly chanting and making noise outside the building. And then... um, uh, Democratic lawmakers, of which there are still a few in the legislature in Tennessee, um, got up on the House floor and started um, chanting along with the protesters and protesting and, and uh, using bullhorns and all the rest of that. That was ruled by the Republican the Speaker of the House to be a breach of House decorum. And that is why uh, the, uh, the two uh, lawmakers, actually there were three lawmakers who were singled out for possible expulsion. Uh, two young uh, African-American lawmakers, one from Nashville, one from Memphis, and then a uh, a, a, a white female legislator, legislator from Knoxville. Um, the uh, the woman uh, survived her the expulsion vote by one vote, um, and the, uh, the the two men were in fact expelled. Um, and uh, all concerned believe that the only reason she survived is that she was white and they were not. Um, so there was there's a racial component to this too. Now, um, what happens is it goes back to the respective counties, Davidson County for Nashville, Shelby County for Memphis, and um, you know the 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 county chairs uh, appoint a temporary representative until a special election can be held. Well, in both Memphis and Nashville, the expelled legislators are look likely to be appointed back to their old seats. And that, uh, uh, and, and they are eligible to run again in the special election to be permanently seated. So it looks like the, and there's, you know, a, a, by all appearances, massive public support for them. So it appears that they will be able to get their seats back. But it was a very ugly, uh, and very dangerous precedent, uh, being set for uh, other states where there are Republican supermajorities, where they can wield this kind of power to just expel whoever they like for uh, having policy positions that they don't like. And, you know, finding a pretext to do it um, is a very, very disturbing uh, scenario that played out 
it got a lot of national attention. And uh, hopefully it's a reminder to people that, yes, this is what Republicans want to do. You know, they they want to have a one-party system. And they'll do whatever is necessary, it appears, to uh, get that. That's right. Uh, meanwhile, there were elections this week, important elections in Wisconsin and in Illinois. In Wisconsin, the state Supreme Court there, which has been controlled by uh, uh, conservative majority for at least the last decade, and that majority has allowed gerrymandering and all sorts of voter suppression, and and uh, it's been very uh, very partisan. And uh, the uh, the the court elections there are are routinely very partisan affairs. Well, um, a Democrat got elected to a swing vote in the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, by making abortion uh, basically her campaign issue, saying that you know. Uh, the Supreme, the Wisconsin Supreme Court has banned abortion, that that's wrong and that needs to be reversed. And she won by, uh, 11 points. Um, and this follows in, uh, a long string of election victories for Democrats that have prioritized abortion as an issue going back to the midterms last year. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, the problem for Republicans is that the more extreme they get, the less palatable that position gets to the majority of Americans, since poll after poll has shown that they didn't want Roe v. Wade overturned, that they don't want um, uh, they they don't want this kind of extremism going on. And um, you know, I, I saw a, a a great framing I thought of the the extreme you know no exceptions for rape or incest etc. Uh, abortion position as being that of forced birth advocates. And that is a phrase I would love to see, see people start using, forced birth advocates, because that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And it is a grotesque violation of the human rights of women who find themselves pregnant, not to mention their health care needs. So that was good news. Uh, the other good news is that uh, in a runoff for Chicago's mayoral um, uh, office, that um, it was a choice between two Democrats, which is often the case in big cities, uh, one who was a, a tough-on-crime type and the other who uh, was really unknown coming into the uh, the election, um, who basically ran in opposition to that and wanted, uh, you know, uh, more funding for human services and et cetera. It's a kind of debate that we've seen a lot in Seattle over the past few years. And the human services guy won. So that was good news as well. Yeah, that was very inspiring. And both Wisconsin and what happened in Chicago, you would think the Democratic, the National Democratic Party would be paying attention to as perhaps we could learn something from this. Yeah, well, I, I'm not sure that the Democratic leadership um, has a very good learning curve, but um, <laughs> but yeah, you would you would hope so. Yeah. Moving on uh, to the Trump indictments. Yeah, it was not a very good week for Donald Trump. Uh, he went up to New York on Tuesday and uh, got himself, uh, you know, fingerprinted and all the rest of that. 34 felony counts, um, which was, uh, you know, the, the reporting ahead of the indictments is that it will be a mix of misdemeanor and felonies. No misdemeanors. It was all felonies for uh, falsifying business records. And um, the evidence for that, even what we know publicly, 
has been has been overwhelming, and certainly the investigation turned up stuff that we're not aware of yet. Um, the bad news for that is that the next court date at which Trump needs to be uh, present will be in December. So he's got a lot of time to uh, cook up strategies for delay and obfuscation and all the rest of that. Um, and, of course, December will be very, very soon before the uh, the first Republican primaries in January and February of 2024. So, um, yeah, that's going to be ramping up. Um, at, at the same time that the, the criminal case against Trump, yes, this is a criminal case, will be moving forward. Now, bear in mind that um, uh, that Trump is facing at least three other criminal investigations, two in the Department of Justice, one for January 6th and one for uh, the, uh, the the classified documents in Mar-a-Lago that were seized by the FBI, and then the Georgia case, the um, the Fulton County prosecutor that is looking into allegations that uh, Trump tried to tamper with the 2020 election results in that state. Um, we haven't heard a whole lot about a similar investigation that was announced uh, a few months ago in Arizona, um, but I've got I've got half an ear cocked for that as well. And then Trump has to go back up to New York State uh, next week for, to give a deposition in the civil suit that. State Attorney General uh, uh, Letitia James is bringing against him um, for uh, similar uh, business fraud allegations. So it's um, it's a busy time of year for Trump um, legally, and it's not going to get better anytime soon. Uh, meanwhile, we found out this week that uh, Trump is hoping to hire uh, one of the most notorious bigots in the uh, right-wing uh, fever swamp of Republican politics, uh, Laura Loomer, who first made a name for herself uh, with her is- Islamophobic uh, rantings uh, post 9-11 and has just never quite gone away. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, all the best people he's surrounding himself with. And it seems very clear that he's going to be basing his 2024 campaign uh, largely around his own bigotries and his own sense of grievance and persecution at the hands of law enforcement. So the uh, the tough on crime Republicans, uh, that's that that's your grandpa's Republican Party. That's no longer operative because everybody's lining up behind Trump. Or a lot of people. Are lining they, up. Well, on the Republican side, yeah, yeah, almost all. We'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Exactly. <laughs> so, so meantime, speaking of incredibly corrupt public officials, uh, we. Uh, there was 400, the, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, ooh, daily double. Um, <laughs> so uh, ProPublica, which is a great investigative online publication, um, had a report that came out, I believe, on Thursday that uh, Judge Clarence Thomas has been uh, taking luxury vacations that are paid for by a Republican billionaire mil- uh, mega donor named Harlan Rowe. Uh, now, Roe has been saying that uh, it's all in the up and up because and it didn't have to be reported because he doesn't have any business before the Supreme Court. But that's a little disingenuous because for years, Roe has been funding, uh, you know, think tanks and Republican advocacy groups that do have uh, issues that are being considered by the Supreme Court. So, uh, 
you know, where the, the federal standard is, is not just that there is uh, corruption, but that there's going to be the appearance of corruption. And this certainly stinks to high heaven. Uh, we're talking about, you know, uh, island hopping in Indonesia. Uh, that's one that I remember. And it's just all over the world. And he's using private jets and super yachts and all the rest of this. Um, and now this is, this contrasts quite a bit with, uh, Thomas's, uh, uh, preferred narrative of himself. This, this again is a very Trumpian, uh, you know, growing up in humble roots and being a man of the people and so forth. Uh, this is extreme wealth. And of course, uh, Ginny Thomas, his Republican lobbyist wife, has been going on these trips as well. So, um, yeah, it, it stinks to high heaven, and there there are calls at this point for uh, Thomas to be censured, uh, maybe even impeached. Certainly, uh, tightening up of the ethical ethics rules of the Supreme Court, which the Supreme Court has historically exempted itself from the uh, ethics requirements for all other federal judges. Once you get to the Supreme Court. You don't have to worry about any of that. You can do whatever you want, take money from whoever you want, and not report it, apparently. So, uh, yeah, uh, Thomas getting a lot of negative publicity this week. Um, yeah, uh, real quick clicks. I know we're short on time here, but I wanted to um, squeeze in a couple of other items. We had a bad cop shooting this week um, in Farmington, New Mexico. Yeah, well, just uh, just one that we know of so far. In Farmington, New Mexico, which is a, a town of about 30,000 in the northwest corner, the Four Corners region, um, uh, state police um, uh, knocked on the door of uh, uh, Robert Dotson responding to a domestic violence call. And um, he opened the door with a handgun, and they shot him and killed him and uh, nearly killed his wife, who uh, saw that he had been shot and uh, started firing on police before realizing that they were police. The problem with this is that it was the wrong house that the actual domestic violence call came from across the street at 5305. At Dotson was 5308. And... You know, how you don't know which side of the street is odd or even uh, beggars the imagination. Uh, so that that was a really, un- and of course, Dotson was uh, totally within his right to uh, to come to the door with a handgun at 11 o'clock at night, not knowing who it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, put somebody pounding on the door. I mean, you know, that, uh, but uh, as with Tennessee, um as with uh, this next story I'm going to get to in a second, uh, the fact, fact that we are, are awash in this country in weaponry um, leads to people dying. It does not make people safer. It leads to people dying. Uh, end of story. Uh, the other item this week was in Austin where a, uh, a jury convicted uh, Army Sergeant Daniel Perry of murder. Now, people may remember this. This was the incident in July of 2020 uh, when Austin, like so many other cities, was having uh, protests uh, around the, the uh, racial justice and, and policing. Uh, Perry was stuck in traffic behind such a protest and uh, basically got out and shot a protester, uh, 28-year-old Garrett Foster. He was convicted this week of murder. Uh, it took a while, but uh, it was good to see that justice was done in that case. 
that got a lot of national attention at the time that shooting did. So uh, that was a piece of, um, you know, a tragedy, but a piece of good news. Oh, I have a tangent for uh, the Robert Dotson shooting. That yeah. Since since that happened, it appears that their additional information has come out that uh, Mr. Dotson worked at a place called the Highway 64 Auto Salvage as his job. And it turns out that on that same Wednesday that two employees at uh, Highway 64 Auto Salvage were also found dead at the auto salvage place. And currently the police are saying, oh, those are, that's a totally unconnected situation. But man, you know, that, is, that is one weird. That is not only a weird coincidence, but you know, how many people are found dead in a town the size of Farmington in a given year, let alone right. on the same day? Probably more are going to be coming out about that. We'll keep an eye on that for sure. Yeah. Assuming that that all turns out, pans out to be true. All right. Yeah. Well, with that, we are unfortunately out of time for this week, but uh, next week. There will, there will be more next week, absolutely. <laughs>